The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. I hope your hearts are ready. Last week we were uh, into the book of Joel. We started a series through the minor prophets called God in the Ruins. Uh, And so last week we were in Joel. Does anyone want to guess what book that we're in today? Amos. Amos. Now you get it. Oh, how clever. He's given us famous Amos cookies. Yeah, this message is going to be a little hard to swallow, so I thought I'd start off with something sweet. You know, Joel's prophecy was actually given to the people uh, during a time of destruction. They were, uh, they were a nation that was faced with great depression. Uh, they were a nation that was in great poverty. They were a nation that had, uh, had these locust hordes that would literally came and devoured all of their crop, all of their finances, all of their homes, all of their well-being. And so, and so really when Joel came, last week we talked about Joel, when Joel came, he found the nation was actually lying in ruin. And the people were desperate. They were, they were looking for any type of hope, any type of thing that would come, and so they turned to God. But Amos, Amos, uh, it comes in a message, a warning from God during a time of great prosperity. Everyone in the nation is doing good. They're smiling. The sun is shining. Their bank accounts are full. Their houses are large. Their crops are growing nice. Everything is on its way up and it is moving forward. And so Amos comes in the middle of a nation's prosperous time and gives them a warning of judgment, which actually makes Amos one of the most unpopular prophets in all of history. Amos wasn't actually famous for his baking. Amos was a natural blue-collar dude. He was a, he was a shepherd. He was, uh, he was a farmer. He lived on the land like all of the people. But God came to him and said, hey, I want you to go tell the people to come back to me. And so Amos actually wasn't very famous. The people Amos was speaking to were filled with self-confidence. They were filled with, with safety and comfort and surrounded themselves with luxury and they had financial stability, which means the idea that God would actually bring ruin or that God would actually bring judgment in, the, in, the, in, a, in a city, in a nation that was doing so good, it just seemed unrealistic. And so what they did is they turned a deaf ear. They hardened their hearts. They said, well, God has blessed us. Look at how well we're living In the middle of their comfortable lives, the prophet Amos is sent by God with a message that judgment is coming. And because of their comfortable, self-made delusion, their warning, Amos' warning, did not cause them to repent. Amos' warning fell on deaf ears, and so God did not withhold ruin. From that, we learn a couple of things. We learn... That when the word of God goes out, it doesn't always uh, have the desire that we want. Amen? Sometimes when the word of God goes out, it doesn't 
uh, reap the harvest that we would ultimately all want to see from the word of God. But it tells us that we should continue to proclaim the word of God, knowing that God is glorifying himself in all of the purposes, in all that he does. And so even if his purposes of his word uh, fall on a hard ground, and even if his purposes are even hidden to us, we can be confident that God's purposes are good. Amen? That God is good, and he will fulfill all of his purposes and all of his plans. What we also take from this scenario is that mighty empires and mighty men and women and people who have built for themselves a kingdom of their very own aren't usually brought down to ruin by finances or they're not brought down by a military disaster, but rather they're brought down by sin. Most self-made, prosperous Kingdom of self-building people don't simply come falling down because of a worldly tragedy, but rather from corruption within. And that's what's happening to Israel. Ruin from within. The central message of Amos is judgment. And it's flowing from the sins of the people to the wrath of God. And so still today, I want us to take heed that God still calls you and I to repentance. That God still calls you and I to come back to him to seek the Lord. God gives several calls of repentance and salvation to the people. And Amos' prophecy power has impact for us today. Because what happens is God uses Amos to expose their sin. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. This is the point. Whenever God exposes our sin... We will either forsake our sin or we will forsake God. When God exposes our sin to our hearts, either we will forsake that sin and turn to God or we will forsake God and continue chasing the sin. The word that's set up for us is found in Amos 1-2. And it says, the Lord roars from Zion, right off the bat in the very first chapter, Amos says, the Lord is like a lion and he is not pleased. A lion is roaring from Zion. That's the keynote. That's the crescendo. That is what God is wanting to communicate to the people. In chapter 4, verse 12, he says, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. The Lord is on the mountain. He is roaring like a lion. And so we must prepare to meet our God. That's not happening because we're preparing for everything else. How many of you guys prepare for your week? You check your calendar, your schedule. What do I have going on this week? I gotta uh, prepare my life. I gotta prepare for uh, the thing I've got going on tomorrow. I prepare uh, for work. I prepare for the birthday party. I prepare for the game. I prepare uh, for the speech I'm about to give. I prepare for all of these things. But seldom do we prepare to meet God. Rarely. Would anyone ever think about coming into the American church 
and preparing to meet God. We prepare for songs. We prepare to meet and greet. But what if we prepared to meet God? Look at Amos 5, verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? Now last week we talked about the day of the Lord as the day that God is coming to judge. And he says, why would you want that? Many people, oh, I can't wait until the day. He says, he says why would you want the day of the Lord? Woe to you, desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have that day? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled, fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? The day of the Lord is coming and it doesn't sound like a party. Because what happens if the Lord comes and we're in our sin and we've forsaken God and we're living in rebellion, it says that you'll meet him like a roaring lion. Oh, that's okay, we say. I'll just run away from a lion. What would happen if you stood face to face with a lion? Oh, I'll run away. And then he says, okay, if you run from the lion, then the bear will meet you. Like you just stole her cubs. Now you're faced with a bear. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll hide. I won't go into the woods. I won't face the lion. I'll just hide in my little house of comfort. But then there's a rattlesnake on the windowsill and it will get you. The analogy is this, you can't hide from God. You can't run from him, you can't escape him, and he is coming. There is a large, strong, unavoidable message of Amos that says prepare to meet your God. The day of the Lord is darkness, it is not light. Those who love darkness, listen, you cannot hide. Jesus says in John chapter three, this is the judgment. Don't you see the light has come into the world? Jesus is talking about himself. Jesus says, I've come into the world. Receive me, turn to me. All who believe in me, receive me. I will make you sons and daughters of God. I will make you born again. If you trust in me, this is the judgment. The light is coming to the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light because if we come into the light, then our works would be exposed. Amos is saying we are all vulnerable. The creator and the ruler of all things will roar like a lion against all of his enemies. And he says, come into the light. You can't run, you cannot hide, prepare to meet God. And I know that sounds really gloomy. But the question is why? 
Why is God determined such terrible judgment among his people? Have you ever thought of that? These are his people. This is his nation. He calls them his very own. Why would God bring such terrible judgments against the people? Aren't these the people of God? Aren't these the people who are in the temple? Aren't these the people who come to worship? Aren't these the people who come to pray? Aren't these the people who know and teach God's word day in and day out? Why has God come to them with such extravagant, severe warnings? We should ask that question. Mainly because we're in the temple. And we've come to worship. And we come to pray. And we come to hear God's word. What would cause God so much Terrible warnings towards them. Well, there's one reason, and this reason manifests itself in several ways, but there is one reason that has caused God's wrath to grow up against them, and the main reason is this, is that the people have forsaken God. Did you know you can go to church and forsake God? Did you know you could sing songs and forsake God? Did you know you could do a lot of religious things and forsake God? They have turned away from God. They have rejected his ways. They've rejected his warnings. And so they have rejected God. The word forsaken is the same as abandoned or to turn away. And so either we will forsake our sin or we will forsake God. The main root that feeds the growth of all other sinfulness is the forsaking of God. It is the abandonment of God. Amos 4 describes God's aim to win back the people. Listen, I don't just tell you this to be just thunderous, all mean and grumpy up in the church. And God doesn't send Amos to just be all grumpy to the people. The people hated him. But God's aim is to bring the people back to God. He loves them so much. He says, stop forsaking the giver of life. Stop forsaking the one wellspring that is actually life-giving and joy-filling. Why would you forsake God? Turn from those ways and come back. Amos 4. He says, I want to win back the people's hearts. And, I, and God, he does things. He gives and he takes away. He gives and he takes away so that we would see God. Look at Amos 4, verse 6. God says, I gave you cleanliness of teeth in all of your cities, which means you looked very nice smiling God says, and and lack of bread in all your places. See, I give and I take away, yet you did not. What's it say? Everyone say, return to me. I, I gave, I withheld, I gave you plenty, I made you in need so that you would return to me, but you did not, declares the Lord. Verse seven, I also withheld the rain from you when there was yet three months to the harvest. 
I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain, one field did not have rain so that it would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city. You would drink water, you would be, not be satisfied, yet you did not, what's it say? Everyone say, return to me. Return to me, you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew. And your many gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees and the locusts devoured, yet you did not. You did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you pestilence after the manner of Egypt, killed your young men with the sword. I carried away your horses. I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declares The Lord, I overthrew some of you as when God overthrows Sodom and Deborah. And you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, meaning I saved you from wrath and destruction. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Verse 6, you didn't return to me. Verse 8, you did not return to me. Verse 9, you did not return to me. Verse 10 and 11, you did not return to me. The prophet couldn't make it more clearer. That the root of the judgment among the people is that they've forsaken God. They've turned away from God, and God pleads with them, come home, come back, come into me, bring yourself back to me. Stop running that directions. Our heart is running in a thousand different directions and none are chasing after the Lord. The root of ruin is simply running to indifference. The indifference forsaking the Lord is just thinking, oh, this verse must be talking about someone else. I don't do that. I mean, I'm in church, saying the song. It's not me. There are many people today who may be in the Lord's house and talk as if God is real, but in their lives, they do not ask the question, does the holy God approve of my life? They don't examine their hearts and say, does God approve? Does this, does this action, does this behavior, does this thought, does this process, does this honor my God? Does God delight in my habits? Does God delight in my generosity? Does God delight, does, is the holiness of God upheld in my thoughts? Is the holiness of God upheld in my aim of life or the direction that I'm going or the decisions that I'm making or my reaction in certain situations? Does that honor my God? We don't ask those questions. When we compartmentalize our lives in such a way that we only honor God in certain situations, but over here we've got this, and over here I do this, and over here I live this way, and we just simply, in this area, in this situation, instead of honoring God with all of it, we just segment it off. And instead of giving him our hearts all of the time, we just become part-time worshipers. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, I do church part-time. I'm a, I'm a part-time worshiper. A part-time worshiper 
is a part-time pretender and God lays us bare and he says, you're just playing the game. That kind of compartmentalizing of God is a forsaking of God. And Amos reminds them that their rejection of God is expressed by itself, just even going to church. And you've compartmentalized going to church, and you've compartmentalized giving your offerings, and you've compartmentalized singing hymns. And, and the point is, is that you're a hypocrite. That's what Amos says. I look at my life and say, God, what areas of my life have I not fully given to you? Where am I still, Lord, in my life? Where, where, where am I still on the throne? Where is it that I'm still the king? That I need to surrender and humble myself and return and come back to God. Look at Amos 5. It'll pick it up back on that verse that we were in. Verse 21. God says, I Oh, God is love. He doesn't hate. Oh, he hates anything that gets in the way of his love. I hate it. I despise. He, he's got to be talking about something really severe here, right? I mean, there's only a few things that God would actually say I hate or I despise. I mean, it's got to be something that's really bad, like, 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 like things that you see only on like the, the, the censored news. That must be what he's talking about. I hate and I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offering of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like ever-flowing stream. Oh, Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Amos is pleading with the people who give token attention to God through their solemn assemblies or their hearts are much more genuinely engaged with the sporting events that are going on in the news. Our hearts are not engaged on God. We're, uh, we're engaged in the agenda or our business or making money or building a family or, or hobbies. And, and God just simply gets the leftovers. And if you have these outward marks of worship, but you simply just put on the mask if you simply come to church to give, give you some respectable uh, authority among others while your heart is really attached to the world and your heart is really longing for comfort, then God says, listen, I hate it when you do that. I, I can't stand your song. 
when six days out of the week you worship all these other things and then you come in and you sing to me? Like you've not forsaken me? He says, I despise that kind of thing. I despise those solemn assemblies. I despise those offerings that you give just to make yourself look good. I don't even understand why you do that. And so he says, take away from me all of it. You see, the theme throughout the minor prophets, including the book of Amos, is that God not only desires but deserves our hearts. Do you realize that God deserves our hearts? And like Israel, the root of all of our sin is that we've forsaken God. And we even forsake God by giving tithes and offerings. We've even forsaken God by singing songs and gathering together. And so the same way Amos calls for repentance toward the people, that today I will call the Holy Spirit to lay us bare before him. And call us unto repentance. Look in verse 4 of chapter 5. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. That's the greatest news of all the world. That God would actually say, forsake all of that and just seek me. You could do it in song, you could do it through tithes and offerings, you could do it through psalm assembly, but don't just gather not seeking me, gather and seek me and you will live. Come after me, I am here, I am available. Seek me and live, he says. But do not seek Bethel and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile and Bethel surely shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. Bethel and Gilgal were places of worship. He says, you seek places of worship. I like the music here. I like the message here. I like the environment here. I like all these different things. I'm going to go to this place because I like that and I uh, like this. And so I'm going to actually choose where I participate because this is what I'm after. And he says, don't go to Bethel. Don't even forsake Gilgal. He says, get rid of all that crap. Come to me. Seek me. Look for me. Come to me. I'm the one who gives you life. We get so bent out of shape on things that are going on in the church, but we miss the Lord. You miss God. Don't equate salvation with attending a worship service or acts of religion. Whether you sing a worship song or you like a style or denomination or religious institution, because all of it, it will come to nothing. And in the end, Jesus is real. Jesus is a real person. And we should seek him and know him and draw near to him and love him and return to him as the center of our worship, lest he break out like fire in the house of Jacob. Last week we were in the book of Joel and we saw that the land was laid bare because 
of the locust horde. And the people were in desperation and they turned back to God and they repented and God withheld their destruction. But what we see in the book of Amos is that in the day of prosperity, the people did not return to the Lord. Why would we need God? We're doing so good. And because the people gave God heartless praise, dutiful sacrifices, but withheld their heart, they had forsaken God, and God is storing up wrath. Look at it in chapter 8. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said to Amos, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. And then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord. Summer fruit, it's overripe fruit. It's fruit that's gone bad. If you think of fruit that's gone bad, it still looks pretty on the outside, but on the inside it's rotten. It looks fine at the outside, but the inside is disgusting. Anyone ever taken a bite of bad fruit? What do you do? You spit it out. Does that sound familiar? God says, it's bad fruit. It's bad fruit. He spits it out. Jesus says, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're shiny on the outside, but underneath it's filled with dead man's bones. God has allowed Israel to prosper. Their prosperity became their destruction. The people fell in love with luxury. They boasted in their strength. They boasted in their comfort. They boasted in their wealth. They boasted in how well they look on the outside. And when God ceases to be the treasure of your inside and ceases to be the treasure of your heart, you're more than likely going to cling yourself to pleasures and the comforts of this life. And that will determine your success rather than knowing the Lord. And unless God would graciously intervene in our hearts, we will become addicted to comfort, we will become indifferent to honesty, and we will be hard-hearted toward the poor. That's what he says next in verse 3. The song of the temple shall become wailings in that day declares the Lord so many dead bodies. They're thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this. You who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain? When can we go back to work? When can we start making some money? When can we pad our pockets and our bank accounts and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale 
that we may make the epith small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances. We become corrupt. And we may buy the poor for silver. We forsake the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. Let's look at what he says in chapter 6, verse 1. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria. The notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Verse 4. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall. Verse 6. Woe to those who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest of oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Is that too personal? You need some more cookies? I tell you what, as I'm studying the scriptures, I am constantly convicted. He says, woe to those who live in comfort and do not grieve over the lost. God's people have become experts in loving themselves. And we have not first thought of what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. The American church, we attend services, give, even serve, just simply because it makes us feel better about ourselves. And because of that, we have a false sense of security. But what happens to our desire to actually meet with God? What would it take for God to rend our hearts what would it mean to be a people who plead for God to use them to proclaim his name among the nations and desire to seek the Lord and live? How has that call that God has among his people, how has that been replaced with empty choruses sung with our lips and not our hearts? Let me just ask, what drives our desires? What drives our decisions? What drives our conversations? What drives your calendar? Is it the desire to fill your little momentary vapor of a life with as much comfort as you can? Or is it the God-given desire to do as much good for the gospel and for others, for the glory of Christ, as I can? And so may we not forsake the Lord. Let us repent and let us give him our hearts diligently, lest till we find ourselves enslaved to comfort, addicted to luxury, and forsake God and the poor among us. How do we respond? Well, I already read it in chapter 5, verse 6. Seek the Lord 
and live. Listen to me, friends, there is hope. There is hope for this church. There is hope for Christians in America if we would simply seek the Lord and live. More than changing your mind about God, this is more about changing, asking God to change our hearts. It means we forsake ourselves, we forsake our love for comfort, our love for, for the things of this world, and we love the goodness and the justice. We have a choice. When God reveals our sin, either we will forsake our sin or we will forsake God. Listen to how chapter 5, verse 14 puts it. Seek good and not evil that you may live so that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, hate evil, love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. There are a few. There's a remnant that will seek God, seek the Lord and live. We will hate what is evil. We will love what is good. Oh, to have a church full of people who don't love their comfort more than God, but actually hate evil and love good and devote themselves to establishing the righteousness of God in our hearts and in our homes and in the gate. We have become a people who care more about the promotion that's being given to someone else than people being lost forever. We care more about wealth and prosperity because whenever our wealth or prosperity is threatened, we get angry. Yet we don't get hostile, we don't get bent up, we don't get, get full of the Holy Spirit when we see people in, in pain or agony or poor or lost. We just become indifferent. We get upset when our order is messed up in the drive through rather than the person in the drive-thru that's living a life far from God. We get so bent out of shape when we didn't get invited to the birthday party. Rather than getting bent out of shape when children die of starvation or when anyone dies without salvation. We have forsaken God. We have pursued comfort. We have to feel grief and anger toward the things that grieve and anger God. Where are the people whose hearts are aflame? The righteousness of God is not something we earn or deserve but rather it's something that's gifted to us. It's not like we can just simply decide to forsake the things of the world. We need the grace of God. We need to have faith in the only righteous one, Jesus Christ. Amos reminds us that God's judgment will be carried out, yet at the same time, the promises of God's mercy is for sure. And how many of you know we need mercy? We need someone who hated evil and loved goodness. Someone who turned from unrighteousness and was completely and totally righteous. Someone who would die for every injustice and serve justice in the hands of God, and that is Jesus. 
Jesus comes and fulfills God's promise of salvation for everyone who would trust him. And like Amos, Jesus comes to us as our unexpected prophet, as a good shepherd who proclaimed the way of salvation is only through him. Amos 8, it speaks of the day of the Lord. It says this in verse 9. On that day declares the Lord, this is the day of the Lord, this is the judgment. I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. And I will turn your feasts into mourning and all of your songs into lamentations. And I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. And I will make it like the morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. The New Testament writers say the day of the Lord comes unto Jesus Christ for those who would believe. 750 years after this was written, Jesus dies on the cross, and guess what happens? From noon to three, it goes dark in the middle of the day. And from the cross, Jesus cries out in a loud voice. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ was forsaken by God for all the ways that we forsake God. And the wrath of God is poured out upon Jesus Christ so those who would believe and trust in him would not meet God like a roaring lion or like a bear or like a rattlesnake but like a good shepherd who welcomes us home into the flock. Jesus is God in the flesh who is forsaken by God for all the ways that we have forsaken our God. Jesus would be crucified in our place and he would absorb the wrath of God that we deserve. And because of that, if we would be willing to seek the Lord Jesus, we will live. Let me close with this. Chapter nine, verse 11. And in that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord. Jesus, on the third day, will be raised up. That which men have tore down will be rebuilt by God. Jesus will repair that which is broken. Jesus will, re will rebuild that which lies in ruins. Did you know the booth of David was the tent of meeting? It was the tabernacle. It was the place of worship. Jesus Christ is our new place of worship. The booth of David will come down and he will rebuild those who are called by my name, the new place of worship, which is in Jesus Christ alone. Today, let us seek the Lord Jesus and live. I'm gonna pray for you.
the Lord. I ask God that you would first forgive me for all the ways that I've forsaken you. I realize it is possible to stand before the church and proclaim your word and still have forsaken my God. Lord, today I ask you to rend my heart so that my yes would be completely and totally for you. Lord, if there is any way that I have pursued success, the love of man, the pride of life, the lust of my flesh, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to forgive me. to cleanse me and to clothe me with your great righteousness. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take this wayward heart and you would make it a heart that longs after you more than anything else. Oh, God, make us a people. I want to see your name lifted high. Just be a people who desire the name of Jesus to, to flow off of every decision and every thought. And let us no longer come into solemn assemblies and seek anything but you. Jesus, today I, I ask that you would wash over us with your grace that's given by your blood and that you would show us great mercy that would cause us to seek the Lord. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, this church needs you. These people, we want you. And so let us today return to you with all of our hearts so that we may live. In Jesus' name. First John 